0: As we start today, we're, we're moving into our second session, or second, first session really, of emotional healthy spirituality. And many of you are in small groups, so you've already watched the first one and you've already um, seen the first video. And so we're now going to think, we're now going to kind of go through that. And Melissa and I are going to discuss kind of what you've already watched, but we want to give our input, go a little bit deeper and stuff like that. But I have a question for you that I'd love to see in the comments. And it's simply this real fast. If you if you watched the first video already, what was one thing that stood out to you in the lesson? What was one thing that stood out to you in the lesson? Because there's a few things that he says that really stood out to me. And, and one of them is emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. And for me, that was such a powerful statement. I'm realizing now that if you want to share, you basically have to ask for the microphone. So...
1: No problem, taking the mic from you.
0: (laughs) Um, But so he says, like it's um, it's inseparable, and I think that's something that we as Christians um, kind of shied away from. We kind of shied away from this idea that um, my emotional health and my spiritual health are two separate things, and we're starting to realize how they come together. And so it's inseparable. And then the other thing, a couple other things he says is this. It is no, it is impossible, it is not possible, sorry, to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And I think some of us, we want to be spiritually mature. We, we read our Bibles, we do all these things and stuff like that. But all of a sudden we have to realize there's a part of us that's still immature emotionally. And when you realize that to grow into love, as we talked about last week, loving others, we need to be complete in our love. The other thing he says is this, the degree of which we are willing to give Jesus access to what is deeply beneath the surface in our lives is the degree to which we will experience freedom in him. And this is so true that we, the amount that we give the Lord in our um, permission to work in our lives is the depth that we're going to go. If we don't give him Uh, full access. We're not going to go that deep. And so I'd love to hear from you what stood out to you in that first session and what stood out to you. What are you working through? And today we're going to dive into the 10 symptoms that he touched on and discuss them and share a little bit of our own story. And so starting with number one, using God to run...
1: I was actually just going to say, I'm just going to tease you a little bit, Bethel, because um, we've asked you a question and, and thankful for Matthew Wakeham to, to answer because other than that, there's no answers. So you have to have learned something. So what, you know, even just what's, you know, piqued your interest for, for this, we got to get some conversation going. I know we're about 10 seconds behind. And so, so you got to tell me, tell us some stuff. What's, what's interesting to you? Or what, what have you learned so far in the lessons that you've had um, for emotionally healthy spirituality? So I'm going to continue on though, but we want to see your feedback because it's so important. Um, so the first thing that, and you guys have already went through this, but man, they're so good, is using God to run from God. Peter, Peter Scazzaro says, using God to run from God Is when I create a great deal of God activity and ignore difficult areas in my life that God wants to change. This is a tough one. And I think as churchgoers, we are professional, busy people. Like, and our culture actually creates, right? Like, how many activities without COVID are your kids normally in? Music art, maybe um, sports for some families, multiple sports at the same time. You know, if we don't have our kids in something, we feel like failures as parents. Um, But what that's actually creating is like professional busy people. And we are professional at being busy in the church. But what it does is it often keeps us away from being quiet before God and actually internalizing things. I talked to somebody once, and I think they were doing like, three Bible studies at the same time, and reading a book. I'm not sure how you ingest and digest all of that information and internalize it so that it sticks when so much is coming at us. I think it's so important to unbusy ourselves so that we actually you know, can hear from God. And um, and then I think it's, it's a tough one because oftentimes um, we use God to run from God. And as we are, you know, in a study or as we're reading a book, how many people? So you, you can um, own up to this one or you can silently and quietly confess before God, but God is still knows. How many people? listen to something and go, oh man, I wish this person was listening. Or you know what? I'm so glad that this person is is in the course. They need to hear this. We all do it and we don't internalize it for ourselves. So we actually really felt like we needed to stop here. And before we continue on with this sermon and continue on with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, that we actually repent of doing that in the past. But even in this, I guarantee That there are many people who read the first chapter or was in um, in the first segment and was like, man, I'm so glad that my spouse is in this. So let's just close our eyes for a moment and let's repent. Father, we repent of learning something, hoping that somebody else could be learning it and not actually realizing in humility that this is something that we need to learn. So we repent of that. We repent of that judgmental mentality. We repent of of, um, constantly in pride thinking about somebody else and not internalizing how we need to change. So, Father, we ask forgiveness, and we receive your grace, and we thank you for your grace. And, God, we just thank you that you always give us second chances. In your name, amen.
0: It's so important because I think all of us, I remember that you and I made this uh, agreement a long time ago that anytime we do a marriage seminar or a marriage conference, if we go, that we, we can pull into the parking lot. And if we're honest, like it doesn't matter where our relationship is at that time, whether we're passionately in love or we're, we're like talking. And what we want to do in those moments is we always go in and we say, um, we agree that we pull in the parking lot, we stop, and we pray. And we ask the Lord, Lord, let us hear um, the changes we need to make in us. That let us not hear this with ears for each other, but for ourselves. And because it's so important that we realize we can only change us. And God always is working in us. And so point number two that we're working through is ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. And, man, this is such a big one, I think. like, I think we're going to say this is such a big one on every one of them. But the example that he has, he says, I'm rarely honest with myself or others about the feelings, hurts, and pains beneath the surface in my life. And so it's hard for us to share our feelings with one another. It's hard for us, you know, it's hard enough, I think, in marriages sometimes to share how we feel um, with our kids, how we feel. And then when we step outside of that relationship, when all of a sudden it's with friends or with our bosses, uh, stuff like that. Like, how do we have these conversations? And the question we have to ask is, like, how do we have the honest but respectful conversations about how we feel? Um, It's having those conversations where, like, hey, you've hurt me. I don't feel respected. I don't feel whatever our feelings are. I'm actually, you know what? I'm guilty of this a lot, saying, well, you know what? I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. When it's like, no, actually, I think I'm angry. But we don't want to say that because we can't be angry. But the Bible actually says, "In your anger, don't sin." So that doesn't say don't be angry. It says, "In your anger, don't sin." And so we have to be able to have those conversations. And how do I how do I listen to you? To, um, tell me something when and not be offended by it. How do I? let you tell me something and not try to defend myself how do we have these honest conversations where I care more about how you feel than defending myself like right. well I can't be wrong right. no I can be wrong right and so how do we have these conversations and I love Ephesians 4 and I just talked about this verse but four twenty-five to 32 and it says this therefore having put away falsehood let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another To those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That's so important. By whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, I think as we walk through this, it's the only way that I put away my anger, the only way I put away these things is if I have the conversation. And I don't give the enemy a foothold. I don't give him a spot to grab a hold of me. As it says here, don't let the sun go down and give no opportunity to the devil. See, when we don't address these things, this is when the devil grabs a hold of us. This is when he has a foothold because if I'm hurt by somebody and I don't share with them that I'm hurt, then I'm going to be stuck in that moment. And all of a sudden, I'm like, how do I, how do I walk through this? How do I you know sleep through this and the enemy is able to grab me but when we have emotions like all of our emotions are there because God gave them to us i don't have emotions that god didn't create right. like i didn't create these emotions so he gave them to me so when he gives us these emotions we need to be honest about them and i can be angry and not sin see i can be angry and not yell at somebody i can be at angry and I don't need to get even, as we talked over earlier. was all in good humor when I get revenge because it's pranking. Um, but I know I don't have to get revenge. I don't have to get even. I don't need to hurt your feelings so that my feelings feel better. Because most of us, if we're truly honest, if that's our response, then we actually feel guilty about it, right? Like after we feel guilty about it, it's worse. And it's this cycle because all of a sudden now my anger has gone and shame comes in. And so now it's this vicious cycle. And we talked about it a few weeks ago about this self-pity. And so in this self-pity, when I feel like I have to defend myself or I have to, if I don't talk to you and I don't share how you've hurt me or I don't talk to a friend or a coworker or a boss or if I don't talk to somebody and say, hey, here's how it hurt, then I get into, as we talk about self-pity, we share our story because it hasn't been dealt with. And so if we, don't let this, if we don't let the sun go down and we talk about it, then we don't give the enemy a foothold. It doesn't have a chance to get offended in my life. And it usually stops the desire of telling other people because it's already been dealt with. And sometimes, even if somebody comes up, hey, I heard so-and-so says, did this to you, when we've had the conversation, when we've sorted it out, we're actually able to say, oh, you know what? We've worked that out. It was a misunderstanding. or we talked about it. Everything's good. And we're actually protecting our honour and their honor. So as we talked about earlier as I prayed, we need to give the grace of God to each other that he has shown
1: us. Yeah, that's so good. So the third one that um, the book talked about was dying to the wrong things. So this one is so, so important for us to remember. God never asked us to stop having joy and happiness in our lives. I feel like when we hear the scripture verse, you know, take up your cross and follow Jesus. When you hear the scriptures about the fact that you must lose your life in order to save it, all of those things, we automatically think, and I don't know whether, you know, in decades past through church history, there um, was some of this taught too maybe, but like the concept that we need to live very, you know, serious. In a way, miserable lives, right? That there can be no joy. But my goodness, even my devotions this morning talked about the joy, the oil of gladness. That there is a river whose streams make glad, you know, the city of our God, and, and in that we get to rejoice. That rejoicing is is joy. It's 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 um enjoying God's presence. Um, I love how um. Peter talks about the fact that we need to die to, um, we don't need to die to the good part of who we are. Um, God's given us things like, you know, maybe passions for music, passions for art. Um, He gave us friendships. Um, He gave us beauty around us. Um, Those are actually, I love when he talked in his book about the fact that um, that actually might be an invitation from God to be able to Um, encounter him in a very intimate new way. Um, I went through a... uh, You know what? I probably went through a decade of my life of losing myself because I had to work harder. I had to, you know, read more. I had to, you know, which is all intelligence, which isn't bad, but actually... Um, if you grow in intelligence and you don't grow in intimacy, that intelligence actually just makes very clever sinners. Did you know that? It's true. Beca- I heard that quote this week. The more intelligent we get, unless we make, internalize it and become intimate with God, it becomes, it creates clever sinners. That that was fascinating to me. And it was fascinating in this topic because I lost myself. I read a whole pile of books. I needed to do more. I needed to do more and do more and do more and do more. And um, rest and enjoying God and enjoying beauty and enjoying, you know, I have taken up the hobby of cross-country skiing that I used to do like crazy when I was in high school. And I love it. And And me three years ago would have felt so guilty doing something for myself. But what I'm finding is that the beauty that I find, all I look around at the, uh, the trees covered in snow is God, you made this. And I feel such a connection with God that I believe that sometimes we are dying to the wrong things, right? Um, Philippians 4 verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. So you actually get to think about beautiful things. You get to think about honorable things and put those in your mind so that the right things get brought in and the wrong things actually have less space and get pushed out. Um, Because Jesus is actually quite specific in what we are supposed to die to. Um, Matthew 15, verse 19 and 20 says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. These are the things that we are to die to or to fight against in our lives, right? And so those things actually getting them out of our lives and putting the right things in I think sometimes um, we die to our families, we die to relationships because we are trying to live this godly life. But I think what actually God wants to do is create better relationships. When we die to the right things, God wants us to be a blessing to a blessing to others. He wants those things out of our lives so that we can be the parent that we want to be, that we can be the coworker that we want to be, um, and not that we want to be that. We glorify God. Our lives are consistently supposed to, you know, give God glory. And if we're constantly dying to the wrong things, I don't have time for my family. I don't have time for my kids. I don't have time to actually sit and wait and maybe have a Sabbath, have rest in my life. When I don't have rest in my life, I'm a miserable person. You don't have to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't have a mic. I am a miserable person, but when I rest and when I die to the right things, people want to be around me, and I'm glorifying God.
0: And you know what? Honestly, as much as like, I'm not going to confirm that you're miserable without rest. But I think all of us, if we don't have rest, and especially if we're not connected to the Father, when we try to figure out like, why am I in a bad mood? Why? Why is my week not going well? Have we spent time with the Lord? Have we slept? Like, those are some key factors in our lives for health. And, like, these are things that I'm working on. These are things I know you're working on is making sure that we spend enough time with the Lord and making sure we sleep well and staying up on just not only our spiritual health, but our physical health. Right. You know, this is how we're talking, like our emotional health, our spiritual health. It all connects. And so here's a question for you, and I want to see some responses in the in the chat is as we talk about not dying to some good things, what are some things that you enjoy doing? Like, Melissa, you talked about cross-country skiing, and I enjoy going with you. And it's like, what do we enjoy doing that actually connects us to the Lord? And I'm not talking devotions. I'm not talking about worship. I mean, what do you enjoy doing in your life? Going for a walk, going for different things. What is it that you've found that, man, when I do this, it brings me joy, and I feel connected to the Father?
1: There's actually a lot of inner healing places um, that you can go to, like um, yeah, conference centers or whatever, where you'd spend a, a chunk of time there. And actually half the day is spent doing something creative and doing artwork. Right. Because art and the arts and the creative side of us, God made us creative beings. And through that, there's actually so much healing in it.
0: And I think the more we realize that when we're fully alive for God, mm-hmm. man, that's when we really can be an example for him. Right? Like, we've we've joked about it all the time, and I joke all the time. It's just saying, like, how many of us look miserable, right. and we tell people they want to serve God? Right. And it's like, where's the joy in your life? Like, I, I see non-Christians who are laughing, having fun, and maybe it's not the fun that we would classify as godly, but they're smiling, they're happy, and they look at Christians, and they're like, you look miserable. Right. Like, when you leave Sunday morning, your face looks sour. When you come home, it looks sour. Like, where's the joy of the Lord? Where's the joy of our salvation? Right. And all of a sudden, when we have that, when we begin to walk through that, we begin to see, like, okay, this is a witness. See, I love, I love this. Going for a walk in the wetlands. Playing, See, Steve playing disc golf. I love going for a walk. Sunset, nature photography, baking. See, all of these things can connect us to the Lord. Gardening and watching the flowers go, watching God's creation go. It's such amazing things. The number four thing that we're talking about is denying the past impact on our presence. And this is, again, so big. I think too many of us as Christians, we read this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. Mm -hmm. See, when I read that, it's like, I'm a new creation. I don't have to worry about anything else. Mm -hmm. Why does my old self keep showing his ugly face? Man, and so... The old self falling off and new self coming on is a process. It's not just an instantaneous thing. It's working through it. And if you, like, if somebody goes, No, no, it's instant, when you give your heart to the Lord, Scripture says, Old is gone, new is there, then maybe you're different than me, but I, I challenge the question of why does the old self continue to show itself? And so this is a process where we continue to walk and we continue to journey with Him. And Peter says this How often do we pay attention to our own? Families and parents influence, uh, influence us today. And I think we all have to realize that our parents influence us, good and bad. I have great parents. Um, did they teach me wonderful things? Yes. Did I learn bad things? Yes. Why? Because they're human. It's the same as my kids. I'm doing the best that I can. And I want them to be able to go, man, I want to be like dad in that part. And I just know there's going to be parts where they'll be like, yeah, not so much. And it's just because I'm human. And I hope someday somebody says to them, if we don't, hey, have you prayed off? Have you walked through some of the stuff that you've learned? Because how many times have we seen each other in our own interactions? We're like, man, that was your dad. Oh, man, that was your mom, right? Like, and we automatically, like, we laugh at it and we go, oh, wow. And so most times we do that in good moments. But that means there's also tough ones there. And there's different events in our lives, good and bad. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, Good and bad. That it's like, um, influence us. It filters our our past. We filter everything through it. So whether it's a trauma in our life, whether we've been hurt, uh, we filter everything through it. And so we need to understand that we need healing from it. We need to get healed through it. And by saying that, I just want to say straight up, like, nowhere do we say any of this is easy. You know, some of the inner healing that we've done in our own lives, it's taken us a couple years. Like, it's not like a one-time meeting, let's pray, and I walk out of the room. Sometimes it is, but most times it's not. It's a process. It's a journey and a walking through. And we need to realize that some of our early decisions in our own lives, relationships, affect them today, and we have to work through those. So, like, some of the choices I made early in our marriage, the way that we interacted, the way our relationship was, I have to realize, oh, we're 16 years later maybe you filter some of the stuff I say through that because that wasn't healthy. Sure. And so, oh my goodness, she, she seems upset. Why? It's not because of what I said now. It's because of what I said years ago that's still filtering through. And so it's not actually, and I have to probably say this, that's not on her to go and like, okay, you got you to get some healing. That's like, that's on me going, oh, I, I messed up. Did I ever actually apologize for that? Did I actually ever repent of it? Oh, so if I do that from my part, that's going to help in your healing. Mm -hmm. That's going to help in a relationship and communication and walking that through. So the good and bad, we have things from our past that are a part of us, and we need to look back to move forward. The amazing and the positive thing that you always have to think of is every time you look back, it's only to move forward.
1: So good. So the fifth thing was dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. This one is so important because it's so destructive. When we separate them and we go to church and then we walk out the door and we become somebody else, or maybe Sunday is a good day, and then we go to, to, to work or you go to school if you're a student. Um, when we do that, that's the very thing that turns people off of Christianity, and that's the very thing that turns people off of God because they don't see a changed life. When, when we don't carry you know, those fruits of the Spirit and those, those character differences, and even just our faith, you know, we can believe for a miracle on Monday, but, you know, by Thursday, we're living in fear and we can't carry it through. It's it's compartmentalizing our life. I actually, um, um I always share a lot of my testimony. I'm sorry if it's too much for some people, but um, when I had postpartum, um, you know, way back um, after Emma, and I went to a counselor, um, because there was a, so much fear and so much anxiety and, and turmoil inside. And, um, she just said to me, it looks like you are compartmentalizing. She actually said the very words, you're compartmentalizing your faith and you're not taking it with you. You do your devotions and then you move on with your day. And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I, I shouldn't do that. I don't know how I do it. And she's just like, it's, you know, you, you've got these checkpoints through the day, but then once you get into the thick of it, you know, you're forgetting. Um, and so she, I actually would write out the scripture verses and I would read the Bible until something hit me. Until I wouldn't just read it and go, awesome, did it for the day. She's like, no, keep reading until something gets in your spirit and it brings you alive. And then I wrote it out on sticky, sticky um, notes um and i wrote it three times and i would put one in my pocket i would put one like on the cupboard and one on the bathroom so that wherever i went i actually was having to read it and it was bringing it through the day so these are just practical things that we can do to help us not to compartmentalize our faith but then there's compartmentalizing in just the simple fact that we are there's a lot of sunday christians out there right there's a lot of sunday christians um and and that 's particularly what our kids see that 's particularly what our you know coworkers see they 're like why did you why do you go to the church on Sunday when on Friday night or Saturday night or Monday morning, you are not living the life um, and I just think that those are really, really uh, dangerous things. Um, Peter Scazzaro talks about the fact that there's scary stats about how Christians are very much the same as un, the unsaved. That the divorce rates um, are pretty much the same. That the abuse rates are pretty much the same. Um, that actually the church members' giving patterns indicates that there's almost they're pretty much as materialistic as non-Christians. And I will even add to that that I think when I see some of the giving that non-Christians do, I think they give sometimes more than Christians do because we're in a poverty mindset, forgetting that God is the very source of everything that we have. And if, you know, oh my goodness, taste and see that the Lord is good. God is good and he's our provider. We hold on so much. You know, we were talking about giving with the kids this week about, you know, you know, the 10th we are supposed to give as an offering, you know, as a tithe to God. And then we talked about, actually, that's not everything though. You know, there's offerings and they're like, what? And I was like, you know what? If we stuck ourselves to tithing, we only give this much. But if we were truly you know, giving properly, we would give way over and above that. We limit ourselves. So let's just not compartmentalize our faith. And let's be, be genuine Christians inside and out. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think the, the dilemma with it is so many of us, how, ma- how many of us read the Bible for permission yeah. instead of holiness? Yeah. And when we walk our lives, when we walk it out, it's like, am I reading the Bible because, hey, am I allowed to do this or not? Oh, I think I am allowed. Right. It's, am I reading the Bible so that I can be holy as God is holy? Right. Leviticus 19, too, says, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them. So speak to everybody that's mine and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And it's like, how do we live our lives? I, I need to remember that the God I serve is holy and he calls me to a holy life
1: yeah. I, it's it's so true and I don't think that that we especially in this culture like to hear um, especially with all of the lingo of you be you but sad actually um, you know ev- everything goes now and there we've lost um, the fact that there are ten commandments There, there is a a Bible full of God saying, I will bless the righteous. There, We've lost a holiness movement, and we read the Bible just like you said to find out how much can I get away with rather than how can I get as close to God. That if if God, if it's true that God really can't be near sin, we should be clearing our lives out Because, you know, and that doesn't mean that God doesn't love the sinner. He loves the sinner. He's drawing near to us all the time. But I feel like maybe, I guess the better way of putting it is, is not that God can't be around it, but we put this big sin barrier in between me and God. And that doesn't allow because of my own guilt and shame. And the fact that that the enemy is a legalist, He is such a legalist that he is looking for every way to get into our lives um, and access us through sin. And so we need to be living as holy as we can, closing those doors, getting rid of as much as we can, so that we, first of all, can glorify God like we already talked, but we can have that intimate relationship with God. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I fully agree. It's how do we press in closer. And you know what? It's funny. When we think of teenagers and stuff like that, they'll ask questions, especially in the dating, right? And how many parents, how many adults, how many people in the church when, the, when teenagers ask like, so how far is too far? The parents go and leaders and adults go, you shouldn't be asking that question because then you're going to try to go close to that line. But how many of us in other areas of life or maybe the same area ask the same question? And we try to get as close to that line instead of as far away from it as possible. And so I'm not looking for you to put this in the chat because I'm going to ask a, a tough question. But I want you to think of this question at home and and just write it down yourself. Don't put it in the, don't put it in the uh, chat. But what is something that you were doing now that you would not have done five years ago? And now you just feel like, oh, I have the freedom in Christ to do it. And is it freedom in Christ? Because Paul says this. Even though it's permissible, it's not always beneficial. And so therefore, is it actually pushing us closer to the Lord or is it pulling us away from him? And so it's just a tough question that I wrestle with all the time. Is there something that I'm doing now because I think I have freedom and and we don't want to just wipe our feet on the blood of Jesus? It's, I think it's Peter says that. The sixth point is this, doing for God instead of being with God. And we talked about this a little bit already of how like – how do, I ev- uh, how do I evaluate my spirituality? Am I, Do I evaluate my spiritual health be doing for him by pressing into him? Um, how many of us, myself included, you included, how many of us evaluate our spirituality based on how much I'm doing for him? And if we do this, then how much am I actually evaluating on what people's um, based on? It? So like people's compliments. If we evaluate it on what I'm doing, then I'm also going to evaluate on... Other people as well. Like, how much do I evaluate my own spirituality? But how much do I also evaluate other people's spiritualities by what they do? And this is why I think that we have this misconception, this misunderstanding with spiritual health. Because we see people doing for Christ, and we immediately, like, they are holy. Look at them. They are strong in their spirituality. When we connect them to our physical and spiritual health, we will slip into this uh, looking for approval. So when I'm looking like, okay, God, if I'm doing all this for you, I only know that I'm doing enough or more for God, enough for him. When I hear people tell me, oh man, you're doing a lot. Oh, that was great. Oh, that was good. And then all of a sudden, my spiritual health begins to move on to men, the input of people. Like, oh, they said I was doing good. So I slip away from God. And when people think my spirituality because of what they see I'm doing, then all of a sudden, this is when we um, we have this, we have higher spiritual people that we put on pedestals, not God. We put them on this pedestal. And when they fall, when they fall into sin, we're like, how did this happen? How did this happen? I honestly believe that it happens because sometimes their spiritual health isn't correct because their spiritual health is actually on what people think, not their connected with God. And the, the more I put my spiritual health on what I'm doing for God, the more I'm looking for men's feedback and the input, the less time I'm spending with God because I'm more concentrated on what people are saying to me. And so I don't have that connection. Peter says this, our activity for God can only properly fro- flow from a life with God. We cannot give what we do not possess, and we've talked about that a lot. Like I know you get you get a lot of questions from people that are learning to lead worship and different pastors, and they're asking like, "Hey, how do you do this? How do you?" Do and um, we've said it for a long time. You've said it for a long time. You can't lead somebody where you haven't been. And so it's so important about your private worship time, your private prayer time. And I know so many mentors that I'm learning from to grow in different spiritual gifts. And they say, if you don't do this in your private time, you will never be asked to do it publicly by God.
1: Mic drop, (laughs) mic drop. Um, Well, I think we can end there. (laughs) No, no. So um, the seventh one, is spiritualizing away conflict. So I am the post-child of this one. You know, God wants... It because, to be honest, um, I think there are more um, argumentative or um, confrontational people, and there are less confrontational people. Then you add spirituality or Christianity into the mix, and, you know, you you hear things like... Um, We are to be gracious at all times, forgiving immediately, um, meek and mild and gentle. Um, And while all of those things are great character traits for a Christian, it doesn't mean that we have to sweep all of our conflicts under the rug. Um, Because think about Jesus. Uh, He had conversations and conflicts constantly. But here's the thing. He was demonstrating for us what it means to be a peacemaker. And not a peacekeeper, I lived my life being a peacekeeper. I was terrified of of shaking things up. I was terrified of sharing my feelings, and that 's why this has transformed my life over the last three years of just even the identification that it 's okay to be angry. just don 't sin in it, but it 's an emotion and it's emotion that that signals that something is wrong, and maybe somebody you know, has done an injustice to you, or maybe there's just a conflict, but you need to work through it. Um, but what I have learned is that, um, when I push into the conflict and when I, um, you know, don't back down, but have those tough conversations that I do not want to have, that it always, 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 always flourishes my relationship with that person. I always come out with a more solid relationship because you're almost, you know, you see the person and there's almost this underlying statement that says, we got history and we got through it. We okay, we're strong, you know. Um, But if you never deal with the conflict, when you see that person, there is a fire that is burning underneath and it's... um, it it doesn't allow you to move forward. It doesn't allow you, um, it's just that constant undercurrent that just allows that straw to break the camel's back as they would say, right? Just that one little thing. I don't want to walk to, to live my life, um, walking on ice. Hey, you've, we've all been around those people that you just kind of feel like you're walking on ice around. Sometimes that's just because maybe you've got history with them, and you know I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but that can be one of the very big reasons. Um, so we need to work through. So where the talk and the teaching about being calm and gentle and easy to forgive and easy to answer with a gentle word, it comes in the in the dealing with the conflict. We deal with it in a mature, relationally, you know, gentle, meek, mild way. But we do have those tough conversations. Um, Danny Silk, um, he's he's got a course that we just love. It's called Keeping Your Love On. And it talks about staying with, um, connected to people. And he talks about one of the, the first things he talks about in the first chapter is being a powerful person. Being a powerful person is somebody... Um, is someone who, um, oh, what's a powerful person is not somebody who overpowers somebody else, right? It's a, a powerful person is somebody um, who can control their own emotions. I don't need to control you. I can control me. Um, I'm a powerful person. Um, I'm, I don't need to get upset with you if you're yelling at me. I just need to be gentle, right? Um, so in having those conversations, you know, I can be a powerful person in them. And that actually enables that person to become a powerful person. Um, I believe that the what I first said about being that Christian, being meek and mild, is so important.
0: Yeah, I think when we understand what a powerful person is, is we can have, I love, like, be angry, do not sin. We can be angry with each other, but we don't have to yell. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be disrespectful. We can actually just sit calmly and have the conversation and walk through the relationship and grow deeper together. Number eight in um, the unhealthy spirituality is covering our brokenness, brokenness, weakness, and failure. Uh, Many of us have a hard time uh, to speak about where we're weak. Many of us have a hard time to confess in our weakness and confess when we've messed up. And this morning, driving here today... Um, I usually come to the church, I have a travel mug of coffee, and then I always have my coffee mug that I'm drinking. And I've done it many times, and you've always said to me, Chad, just take the travel mug. You're going to spill that cup of coffee. And I'm like, I'm not going to spill the coffee. I've done this 100 times. This morning, I spilled the coffee all over me. Melissa had to bring me another shirt. And so I'm just confessing my failure today of drinking my coffee. It was all over me. And so it was one of those moments. But we've all had those moments. And I love the fact that yesterday you posted online, um, I think it was yesterday or Friday, you posted a, a picture that we have, and your mom gave it to you. And I think your mom gave it to you so you would relax when she was coming. Probably. And it says this. Um, it says, good moms have sticky floors, messy kitchens, piles of, dirty, piles of laundry, dirty ovens, and happy kids. And in that moment, you had so many comments, so many people and moms just commenting how great of a mom they must be. And it just kind of brought this peace and this laughter to people of like, oh my goodness, you too, right? You too. And I remember Stephen Fridick doing a uh, message. I forget what he called it, but he walked around his sanctuary and he was talking to people and he's like, you got mad driving your car? Me too. And it wasn't giving permission. It was a realization that we're all on the same page. And we we asked last week, hey, what is one thing that Christians need to stop doing? And, and they, they said, everybody commented, stop, pretending we have it all together. And I think we need to do that. We need to be honest about our weakness. We don't need to air out all of our dirty laundry. We need to have safe places where we can air that out. But I think when we're honest with each other, when, you know, when all of a sudden somebody says, like, oh, you know, we're not getting along right now. Really? Like, oh, everybody goes through tough times. Like, oh, my kids are doing this. Oh, your kids are doing What? Like, no, like, I think it's a little bit more honesty, a little more vulnerability of, like, talking to one another and saying, hey, we've been there. We can do this. And, like, we talked about being honest and being a little more vulnerable. So we say that this is what Christians need to do, but what if it started with me? Right. What if it starts with you? What if it starts with you? Instead of saying, like, this is what Christians need to do, what if you started? 2 Corinthians twelve nine says, But he said to me, my grace is significant... Sufficient. There it is. Wow. For you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. This is not an excuse not to work on being better, just the truth that we all have something to work
1: on. So good. So number nine, um, is living without limits. And again, um, I've lived 10 years of testimony. I have a lot of testimony. Um, I've lived more than 10 years. Yes. But I've lived 10 years of solid, like testimony making trials. Um, I've learned, and I I took time off work about two years ago because I was living without limits. And this is why this is so powerful to me, because you just kept burning it, kept burning it. You know, your body's saying, you know, stop, you know, your face is twitching, you know, things are going, you know, unfortunately, some people, their journey ends just with a heart attack because their body just says, enough, I can't do anymore. But there's a point to having the Sabbath. There's a point to having rest. There's a point to godly limits because... It reminds us, when we stop, when we have a Sabbath, it reminds us that God keeps working, and it's actually him who accomplishes and who does the work. It's not us. You know, we partner with him, but it's all him. We have to take a rest. We need to have limits. Our families need us to have limits. But we need to remember that God is in control.
0: It's so true. We have to give him all the glory and trust him and rest in him number 10 is judging the spiritual journey of others man i am so good at evaluating other people's lives i am so good at critiquing their lives and you know what i really dislike it when somebody does it to me i really do and so we have to make sure that we um stop occupying ourselves by finding faults in other people's lives. Peter says this in his book. He says, of course, many of us have no trouble at all dispensing advice. I'm so glad that he says that. It makes me feel better. It's not an excuse. I need to work on it. But he says, of course, many of us have no trouble at all dispensing advice or pointing out wrongdoing. We spend so much time at it, we end up self-deceived, thinking we have much to give and therefore little to receive from others. After all, we're the ones who are right, aren't we? This often leads to an inability to receive from ordinary, less mature people than ourselves. We only receive from experts or professionals. That hurts, right? Like, oh, I can't learn from anybody, I only a counselor. If that's I if I'm still believing that I can go to a counselor, right? right? Many of us go, oh, no, no, I just listen to the Spirit. Well, no, some of us need counseling. God actually says, seek the counsel of the wise. Seek counsel. Seek this out. And we need to begin to realize and confess that we don't have it all together that we've already talked about and that some of us are far, uh, some of us are so far the other way that we beat ourselves up so much that we don't think we have anything to share. Well, first off, we all have something to share. We all have a life experience to share. But even with how much we have the ability to share, we have so much that we can learn, so much more to grow from. And we can learn from younger people with less experience. We can learn from a Christian who has been saved for a week. We can learn how to grow in our faith. I can learn how to love you more from somebody who's been married a week. And they can learn from me because I've been married for 16 years. And then I can learn from somebody who's been married for 40.
1: I think sometimes we just learn about a lot of bad habits, right? When we see somebody with a first love, whether a relationship or whether a Christian, um, you remember Oh, my goodness, that's what faith looks like or a relationship. That's what love looks like. We've, we've just somehow coasted along. We're not, like, present in our relationship with each other. Um, there really is something to learn about somebody from all ages. And I'm sure all the Sunday school teachers would um, applaud this. I can learn so much more from kids, sometimes, than adults because they say things just so purely and genuinely.
0: And that's why Jesus says, have faith like a child, we overthink things as we get older. And we're not to judge others. I need to remove this massive plank in my eye before I try to remove a speck from somebody else's. Romans 12, 3 says, For By the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. It's so good. And so as we wrap up this morning, we just want to give you a chance at home just to talk for a minute, and maybe if you have time, pray for each other. And we're going to put up on the screen the 10 symptoms of what we've talked about, and you're going to have two minutes. We want you just to, with each other, which one do you identify with the most? And just share with each other and pray with each other, and we'll be back in two minutes. So I guess we're having technical difficulty with my two-minute video. And so um, I want you at your home to take some time to share with each other these struggles that you have and which ones you identify with the most. And we're just going to close in prayer with you. And we're going to send you on your way. And I just want you to be encouraged as you walk through this. Don't, if you identify with more than one, if you identify, if all of a sudden you're sitting at your home and you're like, all of them. Um, We all identify with all of them to some point, and if you don't identify with one of them today, you might years down the road, And this whole series is going to help you how to walk through that and strengthen us. And so...
1: I should say, I've gone through this book three times, and I plan on doing it a fourth. So it's just a continual journey.
0: And so we just want to close in prayer and bless you. So Father, we just thank you for this incredible series as we walk through this together. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to each one of us challenge us, encourage us, lift us up. But Father, as we walk through this, help us not to be discouraged and help us to realize as Christians that every one of us has unhealthy uh, emotional stuff that we need to deal with, unhealthy spiritual stuff that we need to deal with. And the goal is as a church, that as we walk through this together, we will be better together at the end of it being able to be honest with each other, loving each other the whole way through it, and be a stronger, healthier church to witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you this afternoon on um, the pregame show. And if you need prayer right now, there are people waiting online to pray with you. And so you can go to our webpage, and right there it says... Prayer, Sunday morning prayer, and there's going to be people online waiting to pray with you. And so they'll want to pray with you about anything and everything. And so be encouraged by them and go and see them right now. God bless you, and we will see you later. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.